Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things home inspections, houses, and anything else that's rattling around in our brain. Well, we left the conversation about healthy homes and home inspections. We are going to pick up right where we left off. So Tessa, I'm not going to mess up your world. I'm throwing it right over to you. (laughs) Well, yeah. So the last episode, we were talking a little bit about how, you know, these things that homeowners care about, like comfort and energy efficiency and, uh, and air quality and their health really matter to them. But, but a lot of times that is outside the scope of what we do as home inspectors. And so we touched a little bit about, touched on the fact that, you know, um, this is kind of a difficult gray area to navigate and how much do we talk about in a home inspection or not. But I think the larger conversation that we wanted to dive into today is looking at, you know, what are the defects that you're seeing? How do you categorize them? Are they critical? Are they minor? And really giving some context for the client so that they they can understand that because to be a successful home inspector, you have to know your stuff technically, but you also have to be really good at communication and you have to have interpersonal skills too. And so we're talking today about kind of weaving both the technical side in with this interpersonal side. Yes. Really what it comes down to, I mean, I think the key part you mentioned there, Tessa, is context, putting things into context. You can have, I mean, we, I think we closed the last episode talking about this. You can have something going on, like maybe, I don't know, eight inches of insulation in an attic and it's Mm -hmm. a 100 year old house. It is what it is. We'll tell people, Hey, this current standard is this. You may want to add some more insulation up there for increased energy efficiency, reduce the likelihood of ice dams might be a good idea to add some insulation. But if we're doing a new construction home, we see the same thing. We're going to mark that as unacceptable and say that this was built wrong. So it's the exact same issue, but we report on it very differently based on which house we're looking at. And it's so critical for home inspectors to put all of these different things into perspective. A hundred percent. I think, you know, if you can look at the house with a wider lens and, and think about, okay, what's the age of the house? What's the condition of the house? And are the defects that you're seeing, are they unique or are they typical? of a house this age in this condition. That's really going to help you kind of decipher how to communicate and what to communicate to the client. This this reminds me of back in the day when I used to help with complaints. Somebody in the South Side of Minneapolis bought this house, like a starter home. Again, back to the context of the whole situation. The client called back after they moved in in the wintertime and said, this place is cold. There's no insulation in these walls. Why didn't you guys tell me there were no insulation in the walls? And it's a 1902 house with the original plaster on and the original stucco on the outside. And there were no drill holes through. I mean, just, I guess you could mention it in passing that this house probably not got a lot of insulation. That would have been enough to just tip them off, but (laughs) they were so upset. And really, what are you going to do? You're going to have some conjecture and say, based on the age of the house, you probably don't have insulation in the walls. Well, my point was like, no way. My, my point was, I know the inspector walked through there and just immediately understood what they were looking at. And it didn't 
even raise an alert in their head to have a conversation about comfort in this old house. It just, it obviously it had never been violated, quote unquote violated, either way from the inside or the outside to add any insulation that would have been retro retrofit. And it just, it's a house. Great. You know, look at how beautiful this old plaster and this cove molding is. And people love those details, but they also wanted the performance of a new house and it just, you don't get it. Well, this is, I mean, I think this is a good topic to discuss because this is why being a home inspector is such a difficult job is it's more than just the technical side of looking at defects and finding problems. It's looking at the house, understanding your clients, understanding their concerns and being able to communicate effectively any concerns they might have and potentially address things that might be a little bit outside of the scope. Again, like we were just talking about, comfort is not part of the ASHI SOP, but if you've got a client who that's their number one concern, okay, you're buying a 1900 built house with no insulation in the walls. Do you know what that means? <laughs> do, you, do you know how that's going to affect your day-to-day life? You know. Well, and if the real estate agent's standing there and you go to that conversation, I, I think they would be like, whoa, 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 time out, right? That's not a part of this decision-making process. This is this is what's affordable in your price range at this time in the market. I mean, you can want everything, but we begin to make choices to get maybe the neighborhood you wanted, or maybe the price point you wanted, or maybe the neighborhood and the price point. You, right? So I, it's just, it's a sticky wicket for the homes that go into that. It is. And, it and is. I love, I love your curiosity about how to do it and, and, and find out what's important to the person and have that conversation that's important to them. But again, we're, you're doing the best you can for your client, but you're also, we're here for the facts. And is this house put together wrong? No, just because it's uninsulated doesn't mean it's wrong for the time. Let's go back to step one. Tell us what step one is. Step one, I think is as a, for being a good home inspector is to just analyze the house. And that's what we're trained to do. And that's what we do best. It's going in, looking at all the different systems, looking at the different materials, you know, are there any defects in the house, problems that you're noting, we report on those things, we follow, typically we follow follow standards of practice, and that's all pretty cut and dry, black and white. And the part that's a little bit more difficult is determining kind of the critical nature of each thing that we find. So we've got in our reports, you know, our report writing software, we've got kind of a standardization of these defects that we find. If we find like, you know, let's just say splice improperly terminated wire, that's automatically ranked as a critical item in our reports. But as Ruben was saying, sometimes you have to put these defects into context. And so let's just say you've got a house that's built in 1900 and it has old galvanized steel water distribution piping. It's got low water flow. It's got knob and tube wiring and it's got hazardous splices and uh, knob and tube buried in insulation. And it's got maybe a stack stone foundation that has lots of moisture kind of coming through it. These are all things that are not atypical for a house this age, right? At least in our area, these are things that are pretty common when we inspect a house that's that old. And, and so we we expect to find that stuff. We do. Yeah. And so I think it's important to ask yourself as a home inspector, based on the age, based on the condition, am I finding kind of what's expected or is there anything that's unexpected? And that helps kind of in my mind, is the beginning process of how I'm going to categorize the defects that I'm finding when I talk to the client. But really, I like to break it down even further. And and kind of the most critical items in my mind are typically anything that's health or safety related, anything that could 
that could be a hazard, burn the house down, hurt somebody. Those are things that are always going to be critical. And those are things that I always make sure to talk about with a client if I run across them. Would you agree with that, Ruben? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, good example would just be the service drop, the overhead wires coming into a house. And so often you've got exposed conductors where the utility lines connect to the house's supply where they just, they didn't put the little insulators on them. And I say, look, this is a, this is a health and safety issue. Someone could die. You put a ladder up against them. You could get electrocuted. It's a serious safety hazard. Now what's, you know, scale one to 10, how big of a deal is this? As far as repair goes, I'd put it as a one. The utility company owns this. All you need to do is call them, have them fix it. It's really important for your health and safety. But as far as, is it going to affect your decision to buy the house? It's nothing. It's something that can definitely be fixed. And we find this every day. This is super Mm -hmm. common. And Mm -hmm. it really changes it. I mean, if you don't put it into context and you just say, hey, this is a serious safety hazard, get an electrician out there to fix it. You know, home buyers are just going to be kind of wide-eyed and they'll go, whoa, this isn't a good house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you got to put things into context. Yeah. Like another example would be, let's just say you come across a, a buried fuel oil tank, which we, we, we run across occasionally here in the Twin Cities. And let's just say that fuel oil tank is buried underneath a sun porch. Well, that's going to be a difficult job to either have it removed or filled in place if that's an option. And so that might be something that would kind of move up on my, on my scale of criticalness. To discuss with the client because of the cost and the uniqueness of it. Everything is always relative to the next thing in this house. Is that a fair statement? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So with that, I mean, so we've got your health and safety category, and then you've got your kind of big, big expensive repairs or big expensive, you know, maintenance items that need to be done. For instance, maybe a roof that's at the end of its expected serviceable life. Now, if you've got a, let's just say a house that's built in 1990 and it's the original roof, well, then I wouldn't say that that's an unusual defect to find. It's just, you know, it's run its course and it's at the end of its life. And so, again, is this something that you'd make a really big deal about? No, this isn't normal, but it's going to be expensive and, you know, prepare for budget for replacement for something like this. Yeah. I remember going to great pains to inform people of roughly the, age of their house. I, I don't know why I did, but I did. It yeah, just seemed what, like a waste of time. After. <laughs> well, what, what's much more important is identifying the condition of the roof. Like how much does it have left? I mean, that, that's really what's more important. Now, I understand that some insurance companies get into some issues. They want to know the age of the roof and it can be helpful for that purpose. But so often we have no way of date stamping or carbon dating a roof, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. We don't have yeah. a way of figuring that out. But but yeah, what's really more important is how much life does it have left? What condition is it in? Yeah. I'm on my own uh, roof experiment on my garage right now because when we bought the house, they said the roof was put on in 1991 and we had the actual house redone, but I left the garage and I'm going to see how far these three tabs will go. So we're 30 years into it. And they look just fine. So Wow. Wow. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> yeah. 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 And just to finish this, this discussion up, the third kind of category I have in the back of my mind is anything that's it's not health and safety and it's not big expensive repairs or just general maintenance stuff. It's, it's the stuff that kind of falls into this more building performance category. It's like, 
you know, air sealing an attic to improve the energy efficiency, comfort in the home and reduce moisture problems in an attic. Like a lot of houses have these attic bypasses and it's not a critical issue. You know, it's not creating any major concerns that the homeowner can see. And so it's something that could be done to the house to improve the performance, but it's not, in my opinion, it's not causing any major pain points for that homeowner. There might be other things in this house that they should focus their their efforts on first, like maybe some of the old knob and tube wiring we were talking about, or the old galvanized plumbing that's reducing the water flow, or water intrusion in a basement. And then once you've addressed these issues, you can start turning your focus towards more of these kind of building performance improvements in my mind. Yes, I have to ask you, you know, we have our internal communication page and I saw a note come over to the whole team that a person wants a single item inspection. And they said, I had ice dams that caused damage. So we replaced the roof and added more insulation. And now I have another ice dam that's caused more damage. Help. Uh, well, you, you know what? It's funny. Actually, I was just talking with Eric Larson today, another inspector on our team who has a background in building science stuff. And he's actually, he went out there to that house for the single item inspection. And it's sad, but there's a ton of people out there who deal with these issues. And it sounds like, I mean, okay, when we hear this, we hear this all the time. Okay, well, first you need to air seal and you need to insulate, make sure you've got good ventilation, problem solved, right? But in reality, this poor homeowner had worked with a roofing contractor to replace the roof. And while the roof was off, they actually removed part of the roof decking at the eave, like up about 10 feet from the eave, from the exterior wall top. And they installed, worked with an insulation company to install closed cell spray foam in the attic on that lower section of the roof. And then they put the roof back on and they blew in a ton more insulation in the attic. And fast forward, they've got water intrusion now. And so Eric went out and looked at this attic and he, he dug through a ton of this new insulation, new fluffy fiberglass in this attic space and found some pretty big attic bypasses that were still there around, you know, a chimney that was there in the attic and wall tops and all this stuff. And another challenge too, is that with this closed cell spray foam insulation that was installed at the eave, we can't determine and we can't really see if there's ventilation that's been blocked off or not because of the, the pitch of the roof is so low, you physically can't crawl down in that little space where the, the roof pinches down over the exterior wall top and can't see if there's vent shoots or if they left an air gap. And so that insulation could have closed off the ventilation at the eave. And also that would potentially affect how that attic is performing. But see, I made an assumption. I thought they just did what everybody else says is re-roof and then just blow insulation in yeah. and didn't address any it's, of it. But and your eyes sit with egg on my face. I, well, and the roofers actually installed a kind of a unique type of intake ventilation that integrates with the shingles. And they installed it like 10 feet up on the roof too, which also makes us wonder, is there ventilation at the eve too? But all that being said, you know, this homeowner has tried in theory, to do these things. They've tried some air sealing, they've tried some insulation, they've tried some roof ventilation strategies, but it still is not performing well. It's still not working. And so where do you go from here? And it was interesting too, Eric noticed in this house that the bath fans, when they were turned on, the dampers weren't opening at the exterior. So they weren't really removing, you know, adequate airflow. And there was no kitchen exhaust fan. There was no ERV, HRV in the house. And 
on the south side of the house, he noticed all of these water stains down the, the side of it, which Ruben, you wrote a blog about why do houses cry? Yeah. So if anyone's listening to that and wants to know more, you can check out that blog, why do houses cry? But there's a lot of indications that this house has problems with high humidity. And so when Eric went down to the basement, he looked at the mechanicals and sure enough, there was a whole house humidifier installed on the side of the furnace. And he talked to the homeowner and the homeowner said, yeah, we use this thing. We leave it on. I don't ever really adjust it. I don't know what it's set at, but yes, we use it. So now you've got this perfect storm of a whole house humidifier, not adequate point source ventilation in the house to remove it. Evidence of moisture kind of coming through the exterior walls and crying down the side of the house and portions of the attic that have been air sealed, but other portions that have been left wide open. And so now I I kind of think of the lid of a house that's leaking and allowing that warm moisture from the house to get up into the attic, kind of like the end of a garden hose. If you've got water flowing out the end, you take your thumb and you cover up half of that garden hose, you're still going to have the same amount of water coming through the end of that hose, but it's going to be coming through it at a higher velocity. Yep. And so it's just like that with your attic, you air seal up half of that attic space and you leave the other attic bypasses open, you're going to have even more warm, moist air coming through those attic bypasses into the attic space. Yes, you have the same pressure. Yes, the same pressure. And so a lot of times what can happen is that problem of frost in the attic or where the ice dam forms just moves in these houses. If you don't have a comprehensive approach to all these all these contributing factors. So yeah, I mean, you you, you want to shake your head at these people and they're like, yeah, we re-roofed it and added more insulation, duh. But a lot of times it gets a lot more complicated and messy than that. And this is a great example of these people needed to live there the way they live and they needed to stress the house out the way they live. It, this is not something that should have or would have probably been uncovered in a home inspection. Right, I mean, we, we definitely train our inspectors to look for signs of moisture in the attic and attic bypasses and and does the house have you know proper attic ventilation we look for those things but to take it one step further would be okay it it doesn't have proper ventilation it does have attic bypasses and i am seeing rust on the nail tips on the roof decking in the, from the attic side so i'm going to put all these clues together and take a wild guess this house probably has frost in the attic in the winter, might have ice dam problems, and could have building performance issues. Boom. You just nailed it. You nailed the reason why they need to know about structure tech on the front side and the back side. Make sure it's good. You get the thumbs up and then dial it in and preferably do that before spend thousands of dollars on uh, roof and closed cell foam and so how soon can people have this product, Tessa? Is it available now? And <laughs> <laughs> Well, if you go through training with Structure Tech, we'll definitely be talking about building performance and all of these things and, t- and trying to integrate it into our standard inspection process. But another big piece of this too, to answer your question, Bill, I don't know when this Healthy Homes program will be ready, but hopefully soon. But one other thing I just wanted to touch on too, in addition to kind of, you know, thinking about, categorization of criticalness of these items is how you communicate them to the client. And it, it really is important to put these things into context, but I wouldn't say that it's also really important to be able to read your client too. And, you know, if you show up to an inspection and you've got someone who is extremely nervous, really anxious versus someone who's, you know, been through the process a lot, owned homes, knows a lot about houses, and they're more laid back and calm, you know, you're going to you're going to 
adjust your communication and adjust what you say and how you say it to that person. And that's just as important as doing a good technical inspection. Yeah, sure. You need to read the room. Absolutely. (laughs) Read the room. And one thing I was just talking with our two newest inspectors on the team, Corey and Mike, after they did their first inspection actually on their own this week, got assigned to a big old duplex. It was like built in 1900 and it had, (laughs) yeah, of course it was three stories and it was, it was a big old house and they tackled that and they found a lot of things. But again, as we discussed earlier, nothing was, you know, unexpected or everything that they found was pretty typical for a house that age, but because it was so big and because it was so old, there was a lot of items that they found that were considered kind of quote unquote critical. It could be safety issues, could be expensive to fix. And so their client showed up and it, and it was a first time home buyer, someone who had never bought a house before, didn't know anything about houses. And they're buying this big old duplex. And Corey and Mike were kind of trying to strategize, how do we talk to this client about all these issues without freaking them out? And so what they decided to do was to kind of walk them through the house and point out the critical items when they got to them and give some context for each thing. And so it wasn't like a, your, our typical kind of, let's do the quick rundown of the big critical items and we'll stay in the kitchen and discuss these things. They actually took the time to kind of walk them through, show them these things piece by piece and put it in a context. And when they were done, the agent said, this is why we use structure tech because you're so thorough, but you're not alarmist. And thanks for giving us all this information and, and putting it into context for us. And the buyer walked away from that feeling like they had a really good understanding of what they were buying. And it's amazing that how did they share all this information, critical items without overwhelming them? I think it, it takes, you have to be able to, to understand your client, know what their concerns are, and, and adjust your communication for that unique situation in that person in that house. That's the final word from Tessa. Perfect. This, this is, it's not that hard. And, and your, your point is well taken. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. I'm, I'm going to opine about one other thing in, in the world of COVID and ownership, home ownership after a pandemic. I wonder if people are going to hunker down in their homes longer than they did previously. Did they, people made a push. I, I, I'm set up now. I've got my home office. I've got this, that. Or I wonder if there's a, a lot more people who want to dial in their houses because they know they're going to be there a while. And I think the healthy homes thing might be really something people want to look at for a, for a long-term strategy to get their houses right make them the most durable as possible, make them as durable as possible and help these help them machinery inside the house last as long as it can too. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. All right. Well, with that, we're going to put a wrap on it. You've been listening to Structure Talk. My name is Bill Ulrich alongside Professor Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. Thank you. We will catch you next time. For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com.